Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand for what he's done these past couple of days. If you're thankful for the word that you've received and the blessings that have followed, just give him some praise and honor in this place. And we've been very grateful. I want to say thank you to all that have been here, everyone who has labored and worked to make this such a great weekend for our nursery crew on the, those first two nights. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving parents a break where they could come and sit and worship. Thank you for that. Not an easy job. Love our friends, those that have come, uh, Sister Lindsay, the Greens, Judah, so glad to see you this morning, and just so thankful. My sister's here today, I'm glad she's here with us, and just all of you, God bless you so much. Brother Green, come and minister to us. I don't want to uh, get, get to talking and rambling, I'm, I'm ready to see the Lord move. Yes. There has absolutely been a breakthrough that God has ushered us into in the last couple of days. And there's dimensions of authority and power that RAC now has that we prayed for and sought for and didn't have before. So we need to know now how do we exercise that. Because the new dimension that God has taken us into, we have to have understanding, Pastor. We have to have understanding now of how. We're there, so how and where can we flow and move in this? And this is a word that God has given me to give us that understanding and that move. Would you look with me as we direct our attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And one more time, we say how much we love Pastor Walden and Sister Pastor Walden. Congratulations, Rack. Fifteen wonderful years. I'm very thankful. I want to see that video they showed Friday night again. So maybe after service we can show that. And then all the uh, people that have been here, including the church, we give you honor today as well. In the first part of Luke 18, Jesus is telling a parable about a judge. But this judge doesn't fear laws of God. And has no concern for laws of man. You, you would think how ridiculous that is until you see some of the political process that's been going on in our world. No fear of law. They just do what their agenda is. But there's this widow who needs a favorable judgment. And so she continually goes to the courtroom. She needs a legal judgment. And the judge doesn't fear God. He doesn't, he has no, he doesn't, the law means nothing to him. But he gives her a favorable judgment because he's fearful that she's going to weary him because she keeps coming back to his court every day. And Jesus picks up in verse 6 and says, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect? which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. These three verses are loaded with revelation and understanding. But I want you to see the shift between verse 7 and verse 8. 
Verse 7 says that God will surely avenge His own elect, His beloved, His children. He'll do that. But we find in that same verse that they're crying in the daytime and they're crying in the nighttime and He's not avenging them. But instead, He's bearing long with them. But then the shift happens in verse 8. He comes speedily to avenge them. And here's the question. Will He find faith? I'm preaching about our all-powerful Father who is looking for faith. He's our Father. He has all power. And He's looking for faith. This is the key to walk in that dimension that we've already got access to today. God bless you. You may be seated. I have given myself almost all of my ministry life to pursuing the Word of God. I have spent so much time not reading, but studying, searching, meditating upon the Scripture. In particular, I have spent a ton of time in comparison in the Gospels. And I have watched and studied and searched the life of Christ and how He ministered and what His ways were and how He operated and where miracle signs and wonders, how miracle signs and wonders, how the power of God demonstrated through Christ. And I have begun to find something interesting. My study has given me this understanding that miracles and healings and the supernatural is for God's children. It's for our Father's children. This is what it is for. When Jesus begins His ministry, He turns to the disciples and anoints them and sends them out and declares unto them, go cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. But He said, two people I don't want you to go to. Don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. Because these groups of people are unprepared. They are uncovenant. This is why John the Baptist spent three years preaching to Israel, prepare ye the way the kingdom of God is coming. There's going to be healings. There's going to be miracles. But you've got to repent. You've got to prepare yourself because it's coming. And those that have repented and are covenant with God, that's who the miracles are for. I read throughout the Gospels and I found this. Only two that I have found that definitely fall in this place. Every miracle, every healing was to the covenant people of Israel except two. One of them was that Roman centurion servant. He is not an Israelite. He does not have a Hebrew mindset or thought process. He's not in covenant with our Father, but he has great faith. In fact, when Jesus comes to do a miracle for him, the centurion says, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my home, but you just speak the word because I understand authority. What he's saying is this, I understand who you are, and you are submitted to the authority above you. 
And therefore, whatever you say, all the power of heaven is behind you. And when Jesus heard this, he said, I've not seen that kind of faith. No, not in all Israel. And great faith operated outside of covenant. This is what I see, that the operation of faith, if you have great faith, will operate whether or not you know God or not. Great faith will operate whether you're right with God or not. Great faith will operate because God honors great faith. The other case is the Syrophoenician woman. She's a Gentile. Jesus has taken a couple of days off, and he's by the Mediterranean Sea with his feet up, sand and sunshine, and he's instructed his disciples. It's a couple of days off. (laughs) But this Syrophoenician decides that she needs a miracle of deliverance and healing for her daughter. And so the disciples are being good armor bearers and saying, not today. It ain't going to happen. Jesus is resting. He needs his time. But she is so persistent. Does that sound familiar to our text? So persistent that finally they say, well, we can't do nothing with her. Let Jesus tell her, get out of here. And so she breaks through the armor bearers of the apostles, and she gets to where Jesus is. And there she says, I've got a need. My daughter's vexed. She needs healing. She needs deliverance. And Jesus says to her, It's not meat to give bread that's meant for the children unto dogs. Now that sounds like he called her a dog until you understand what he's saying. He's saying you are a Gentile. You're of a dog-like nation, the Gentiles. You are unprepared, unrepented, and the miracles are not for you. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Gentiles are likened to dogs that keep returning to their vomit. Now that's descriptive, but it's the Word of God. And it gives you a picture of Gentiles that sin so much and the result of their sin brings them to regurgitation and to sickness and to problems. And then remembering what brought them to there and changing, they go back to their vomit and lick it and eat it again. That's rough, but that's what the Bible says about the ways of the Gentile. And he said, you don't deserve this because your people is an unrepented, uncovenant, unprepared people. And she said, true, Lord. But even dogs get crumbs that fall from the master's table. And again, Jesus said, great faith. So it don't matter that you're from a Gentile or you're a dog-like nation. Because of that great faith, she receives her miracle. Great faith operates outside of covenant. Don't be confused by what you might see in the world today where seemingly people are receiving miracles at crusades that don't preach truth and different places. I'm telling you, if there is great faith, God honors great faith and miracles will happen. That's not some condoning that everything going on there is truth. But what I want you to see about this story is what Jesus said. She is seeking for healings and deliverance. And Jesus speaks of these two things as bread that he as their father gives his children. What miracles and healings are is the daily bread that your father provides for his children. 
Anybody think that truth needs to be confessed in the house today? It's your testimony. Do you believe that miracles, healing, signs, and wonders are for you because your Father is all-powerful? Now, as we study the Word of God, we see that that's absolutely truth. This is who it's for. But when I look back at 26 years of full-time evangelism all across our world, I see something that looks a little different on the outside. Because it looks like most of the miracles and mighty healings that we've seen and great demonstrations happen for people that are guests among us. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's babes in Christ, new converts that receive some of the greatest miracles. And this is what I've observed and what I've seen, so how do we somehow work through that? I was preaching in Pennsylvania, and it was one of them very busy Sundays for me, and I was going to be in eastern, or eastern Pennsylvania for a morning service. pastor would drive me two hours to a central Pennsylvania, and there we would have a service, and then he would drive me back to the original place and have a third service. So it was going to be very busy, and probably the schedule was so tight that we would be cutting off some of the service, getting there after they'd already started. So the first service, I began to notice that there was a couple that sat on my left side and they were very demonstrative in their worship and in their praise. Hands up in the air, dancing, calling out to God, tears running down their face. And just their worship, which was a testimony of their faith, began to stir the gift of God in me. And I began to see prophetically some things in their life. I called them out and spoke to them and declared to them that healing had happened for both of them today. That they were changed. They would never be the same. And they would see the healing in just a short time. power of God was moving. Healings were happening. People receiving the Holy Ghost were working the altar. Pastor grabs me and says, hey, we've got to go to make that second service. From the middle of the altar, we ran out the side door to his vehicle. He got in the driver. I'm in the passenger. I'm expecting a two-hour rest. Maybe a short nap for me. Understanding that I am a very strong introvert which means by that I get my energy from being away from people. And the whole, I see some of you are smiling. I feel recognition there. I, the whole time I'm with people, even if it's in fellowship, it's draining me. Extroverts have a difficult time understanding this, but it's draining me. And so I need to be away from people. So here I'm thinking, I've got a two-hour drive. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to focus in. going to get a little rest. going to talk to the Lord and be ready for that afternoon service. But pastor that was chauffeuring me is a livid extrovert. And he has been in church service with his people, and miracles have happened. He is pumped. And so he's banging on the dashboard, and he's hollering, he's yelling, Woo! You know, all the crazy stuff. And I'm trying to listen, and 
I finally resorted to I would close this eye that he could not see, leave this one open, hoping I could get half a nap or something. I just needed a little rest. And finally, I think it was 15 minutes before we got there, he, he must have run out of words because he said, oh, I'm going to let you rest for a minute. I'm thinking, well, there is a God, you know. And so I closed both eyes, and I, I must have been snoring when we pulled into the parking lot. He roused me, and he said, they're already started service. Let's get refreshed and get in there. And so quickly, we didn't have time to run through anything, so restroom and wash the face and get up into the church. And almost immediately, they brought me up to the pulpit. And when I stood up and looked across the congregation, there was that couple that I'd ministered to over in eastern Pennsylvania. And I remember thinking immediately, how did they beat us here? I mean, pastor was talking, but he was also getting it a little bit, right? And we didn't stop for anything, and there we are. And they had somehow sneaked in before us. A lot of people... <laughs> If they receive a prophetic word and a healing in the morning service, they might not come to an afternoon service. Or on a Friday night, they might skip Saturday night. Let me not look at anybody when I say that one. That maybe I've had enough because I had a really good blessing. That, But here they are. But their worship was not diminished. They had to be tired like many of you are today, but they're still on their feet. They're still raising their hands. They're still dancing. Tears still flowing down their face. And it stirred because of their faith. It stirred the gift of God in me to a greater degree. I spoke to them in front of the crowd and declared unto them, they've got desires of their heart that not only had God healed them in the morning service, but now he's going to answer their prayers, what's desired in their heart. And great miracles are happening in the altar service. People praying through. Pastor grabs me. We run up the side door. we got to go back to that first place. I'm trying to get a nap. He's talking the whole time. So when we get to the last service, I get behind the pulpit, and there they are. Their worship just as strong. Their praise just as powerful. Hands up in the air. I know they're tired, but there they are worshiping and praising God. It stirred the gift of God in me to be very specific. I brought them down to the front and said in the first service today, God healed your physical bodies. In the second service, what you've been praying and the desires of your heart, He answered it. And I prophesy to you that within 10 months, the baby that you cannot have, God has already healed you. The baby that you have prayed for God is going to give it to you and within 10 months you will hold that baby in your arms powerful services we went on to the next revival weeks and months finally 10 months later that pastor called me up and he said hey do you remember that couple and I said that one that kept translating from one place to the next I don't have that gift but I think I'd like that forget sky miles let's just translate one place to the next and so he said, yes, that's them. I'm at the hospital right now. And I don't know if he pinched the little baby or what, but there was a cry of a newborn as I could hear on the phone. He said, it's been 10 months, and what could not possibly happen, the doctor said, will never happen. What medically could not happen, God has given them a baby that they have prayed and they received healing for. Pastor and I are talking. And he said, you know, I reflect on the many things that happened in that weekend revival. But then he said, I also want you to know this. That couple was brand new to us. 
Two weeks ago, we met them and taught them a Bible study. Last week, they were baptized, both of them, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They've been in church two weeks, and they've received healings and answer to the prayer and the baby that's a desire to their heart. He said, but what kind of makes me wonder is in the same church service where people that were faithful to God paid their tithes for years, never missed a service, worshiped and praised God, and some of them went home still needing a miracle. What is this discrepancy? But it's not just a one situation. I see this all the time. All the time. I was ministering here in Georgia, closer to my house. It was another one of them Sundays where I'd be in three services, Sunday morning, afternoon. And in fact, Brother Harvey would be where I'd be in the afternoon service that was here yesterday. And then a night service as well. At first service with Brother David Scott, I was ministering and began to give an altar service. And two ladies from this side began to come down to the front. And when I saw the second lady stand up, God began to speak to me for her. And I just kind of stopped the altar and I said, Ma'am, would you come down here? God wants to give you a healing. And she just kind of stopped and looked like, Are you talking to me? Not like, Are you talking to me? but are you speaking to me? And I said, yes, come on down. And she kind of looked at her friend. She'd never seen anything like this in church service before, so she came down to where I could speak to her. And I said, do you believe that God wants to do a miracle for you? And she said, well, well, yeah. So I said, this is what we're going to do. I see a pain that is in your shoulder, your upper chest area. And I'm going to pray the name of Jesus that healing would happen. And when I speak the name of Jesus, I want you to throw both hands up in the air and begin to worship God. The church has stretched our hands toward this lady in the front. She was obviously a visitor. And we began to pray. And as I spoke the name of Jesus, I opened my eyes to watch her. She's supposed to throw her hands up in the air. But she just kind of going slow. A little worried about the pain she would feel. She got her hand about this high, felt no pain, so she just threw it all up in the air, and now she's starting to wave it around a little bit, and she's shouting. She runs to her friend and beginning to talk to her, and they're rejoicing and dancing and hugging, and a miracle has happened. I had to leave that service without a chance to get to talk to her or to find out exactly what was going on or to the next service. A couple of months later, I was able to go back to the same church service. And as we sat on the platform that day, I looked back and saw her there. And as we're singing, it's worship service. She actually makes her way down to the stage area and wants my attention. Now, I'm figuring that she's a guest because, you know, we don't do that. There's, there's proper t- time and place for things to happen. So I went to her graciously and said, hey, she said, do you remember me? I said, I think God healed you the last time I was here. She said, that's right. But what I did not have the time to tell you, you were already gone, is that I've been diagnosed with a blood clot. It was in my shoulder, chest area. 
The doctors have told me that I need to be very careful because it could break loose at any moment and go to my heart and stop my heart, take my life. She said, I've been in pain, cannot sleep for more than a few minutes at a time. Sitting was uncomfortable for me. But she said, the minute that you said Jesus and I raised my hand, she said, there has been absolutely no pain whatsoever. She said, I went back to the doctor and told him, I've been in church and God has healed me. He did tests, he did exams, and come back and he said, whatever you've been doing, you need to keep doing because there's no blood clot. And he gave her a complete bill of health. So I'm rejoicing with her standing there in the altar area. And I say to her, that is awesome. Don't you love this church? Isn't Pastor Scott just a great man of God? And she kind of hung her head and said, This is only the second time I've been here. And without thinking, I said, you're kidding me. You you were in a life-threatening situation, and God healed you, and you haven't been back here? And she started to say excuses, and then she just dropped that, and she said, I realize now how silly this is. If God met me here, why would I not come back here? What tradition, what thought press would make me go somewhere else? If I feel him here, why would I go somewhere else? So I gave her just a two-minute Bible study. I said, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And she said, well, my friend's been telling me about it. So I gave her a little, we're still worshiping, we're still singing, and I'm here giving her a Bible study. After just a couple of three minutes, I lay hands on her head. She lifts up her hands. When I tell her she's going to receive the Holy Ghost, she's like, okay. I mean, she's got faith because she knows it's happened. Lift up her hands. Almost instantly, she was speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. She has only been in two apostolic Pentecostal church services. And the first time, received her healing from a life-threatening situation. And the second time, received the gift of the Holy Ghost evidence of speaking in tongues. And we love that, and that's powerful. But what about the faithful saints of God who've been there church service after church service and worship and are faithful and good stewards, and many of them go home still needing a miracle? I heard the frustration of a young man in the altar last night. As he said, I prayed for God to deliver. And I have asked Him, change my mind. And he said, no matter how much I pray, no matter how much I fast, no how much faithful I've been, it seems like it's still there. This is not just a one individual circumstance. This is many among us that are faithful and pray in the Spirit and worship God and good stewards and just trying to do everything to live for God. I was preaching in Malaysia, the capital city of Kuala Lumpur. And while it is a Muslim nation, their laws allow us to go into Malaysia to have Christian celebration services. What is against the law for us to do is to have conversion of any faith. And when I tell you stories like this, I have to be very careful Because now with social media, any time that I travel to a land away from the U.S., I'm vetted. And I will not get a visa if they find me preaching or speaking 
or having some kind of thought process that is antagonistic against their law, or if I violated or done something that they have asked us not to do. So we have to be very careful in what we do, and I'll leave it at that. And so we are preaching there in a ballroom, and KL is a, it's a first world city, and there were maybe 800 that had gathered in that room that day from all over Asia, from Singapore and Indonesia and from China, Hong Kong, even from Vietnam and the Philippine Islands, all over Asia, there was people gathered there. And as we began to start our conference, the leaders began to realize this is going to be difficult because we have seven people here or seven different languages here that do not understand English. So traditionally what we do is we have one, body, one person speak and then translate standing beside you here at the pulpit. And that works for one or maybe two. In Madagascar, I've had three interpreters or translators after I was preaching. That makes a five-minute message a 30-minute message. There's no way to get seven people up here. We did not have the electronic devices. And so what we decided we would have to do is gather everybody according to the language that they understood. So, all the Filipinos that spoke Tagalog were over in one corner. All those Chinese with Mandarin over in this area. And it was groups of 20, groups of 30, groups of even 50. And all across that area. Now, it was a very distracting service. Because I would speak in English, and that's the business language of Malaysia, so the majority would understand, and then there would be seven translators that would turn talking loud enough to groups of 20, 30, so that they could understand in their language. And so I would speak, and then seven people would be speaking, trying to go through the service. So I realized I'm going to have to be very simple and very short in order to make this flow. I'm preaching about faith. In particular, I spoke about blind Bartimaeus. That when Jesus came by, Bartimaeus wasn't worried about what anybody said, what anybody thought. He just leapt to his feet and shouted the name of Jesus. And I made a statement that if somebody here has that kind of faith, there's a miracle for you in the house. And now I'm waiting for the seven translators. After the translators, I'm beginning to speak again, and a disruption happens. One of the groups over here was a group of Iranian refugees. And they had their translator with them. One individual we all had seen and tried not to stare at. Because when he walked in with a threadbare t-shirt on, he had three huge growths on his arm. Some a little larger, some a little smaller than a softball. One just on the inside of his wrist, one on his elbow, one on his inner bicep. And his arm was held out here. There's no way you could not see it. His t-shirt was protruding from his abdomen and you only could assume that he had probably multiple tumors that were protruding from his abdomen area. And now as I speak about Bartimaeus, it's that man that leaps to his feet and he starts screaming a very shrill voice. And at first, because of his dialect and his language, we don't know what he's saying. But then as we listen for just a few seconds, we realize that all he is doing is shouting, Jesus. 
literally what blind Bartimaeus was speaking. Jesus! 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 He's crying out. And the power of the Holy Ghost just begins to settle in that place. I'm, as a leader with the microphone, trying to feel after the Holy Ghost what I need to do. I'm going to take this individual to another room. Have people pray for them. Do we need to focus on the, what do we need to do? I'm trying to find the will of God for this situation. But as we are watching him, and now everybody is watching him. He's the biggest distraction in a church service of distractions. And as his hand is high and he's calling the name of Jesus, we're literally watching and the tumors on his wrist and his elbow and bicep begin to shrivel. And we're watching it in a matter of maybe 15, 20 seconds. They are are completely gone. Somehow, because of his intensity of reaching out to Jesus, he doesn't realize what has happened to him. And the individual beside him is trying to get his attention, almost tackling him, wanting to show him the miracle that's happened. But he thinks he's blind Bartimaeus. Leave me alone. I'm going to cry out to Jesus. Finally, this individual gets his attention, grabs his arm and puts it in front of his face. And when he sees the miracle, the best way I can do to describe this, it must have been what happened like it when the disciples are going through the gate beautiful and the lame man is healed. The Bible says he went running and leaping and telling everybody his testimony. There's only 40 people in the place or so that understand him. And he's trying to tell 800 people in the place what has happened. And people are just shaking their head and yes. You know, nobody understands, but they see the miracle that's happened. In the middle of his celebration and his testimony, he looks down and realizes that his T-shirt is now flat against his abdomen. So taking a quick look, he decides that he will take it completely off and show all of us his miracle. I'm not recommending that in the house. If God does a miracle for you, you can go back and check it in the restroom and we'll believe you. And so things are just going crazy. People realize the miraculous is in the building. Supernatural is here. Faith begins to rise. It takes us a while to begin to get things to where we're actually moving forward again. And I bring him down to the front. I say to him, sir, do you have family in the place? I don't know if we lost something in the translation because he brought seven people down here and they all looked about his age. So I don't know if these were brothers and sisters and cousins or he just said, hey, you look like family to me and brought them down. Seven people that he brought down. I taught them a quick Bible study. One by one, every one of them received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. After service, they're telling the testimony. And this is what we hear. That this man had never been in not only an apostolic Pentecostal service. He had never been in a Christian service before. In fact, he had never heard of the name of Jesus until we had sung it and preached it in that service. That's powerful. And we celebrate it and we love it. But my cry is what about the faithful servants of God that left that service and still had needs of healing and diseases they're still dealing with and problems in their life. I'm telling you, we see this over and over again. One more story. I'm driving this home. 
was preaching in the Midwest. And as I began to make my altar service, I was directed to a man on the back row. I said, sir, will you stand? This is a moment of destiny for your family. Would you have them stand up? His wife was beside him. She stood up. A 10, 11-year-old daughter beside them, they stood up. And as the three of them were standing, I told them, come on down to the front. And I was preparing to prophesy what God had given me for this couple and this girl. And as he's standing there right here, his phone vibrates. Now, his habit, and everybody knows this, when he went to church, he didn't want to be bothered with anything. He turned his phone completely off. That, that was just his habit. And everybody in his family, everybody knows that, so he didn't get calls during church anyways. They knew where he would be and his phone would be completely off. But this one time, and all the times he'd been coming to church, he'd left it on vibrate to put it on his belt. And as he involuntarily looks down to see who is calling him, nobody should be calling him at this time. He looks back up at me with the eyes and says, uh, this is my son from a former marriage. Man of God, you said that my family, I love his faith. You said my family would never be the same. This is my son. Can I include him in what's happening here? I felt direction of the Holy Ghost. I said, sir, just take your phone, answer it. Tell him where you're at in a prophetic moment. Take that flip phone that he had, put it right here on the pulpit. And let's just go from there. He quickly said, hey, this is where we're at, son. You need to be a part of this. Put the phone on the pulpit. God directed me not to speak so much to them, but to this young man. And if the phone is there, I just began to prophesy that although you have felt lost and hope is gone, your father, your heavenly father, is going to do a miracle for you. Son, wherever you are, lift up your hands right now and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you're going to find the peace that you need and the joy that you need and the hope that you're looking for. The church is praying. We're praying when I pick up the phone and listen, all I hear on the other side is some young man praying in the Spirit as the Holy Ghost is upon him and he's speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. I go to hand the phone back to the Father, and he's going to take it to the back of the church and say, you know, I'm going to call you right back. We'll be out of church in 30 minutes, whatever it is. And the son says, wait a minute, Dad. I, I need you to know what's going on. He said, when I called you, I didn't want to talk to you. Your phone is always off during church. But he said, I was calling to speak to your voicemail because I'm standing here in a busy corner, trucks driving by, and I have become so depressed that I'm going to commit suicide. He said, I was going to say, Dad, I love you. Forgive me. I'm sorry. And then jump out in front of the next truck that was coming by and go on to my eternity. And then he said, Dad, how did, how did our father know where I was? This man is not repentant. He's not even come to church to check it out. He has no faith. He has no hope. He has nothing to tie anything upon except for a father who's praying for him and interceding for him.
And God reached past place and time with no hope and no faith because of a father and touched him again. One of the greatest miracles that I love to talk about. But what about all them faithful saints of God that were in that place and worshiping and being good stewards and asking God for miracles and going home unchanged? This text gives us the revelation of what is going on. So get the picture. This is not some new individual that's never been in church, but this is God's elect. This is the Father's children whom He loves, and you're the apple of His eye, and He's got every hair of your head numbered. And this is what the judge or our Father says. God will avenge His blessed, His beloved, His elect. Although right now... They're crying in the nighttime. When, God, are you going to heal me? When, Father, are you going to make my situation different? When's the deliverance going to come? When is the breakthrough going to happen? And then in the nighttime, when no one's around, you're praying, you feel so confused of mind. Even in the daytime, when others are receiving it, you're crying out. And He doesn't do the miracle yet. He's just with you because this is the way our Father is. And no matter what you go through, He will never leave you, never forsake you. He will not pass away and be gone. He's an everlasting Father. So while you're going through it, He'll be there with comfort. He'll be there with love. He speak words of encouragement. You'll find strength from Him. But no healing yet. And then the shift comes. Declares in verse 8, I tell you I will avenge them speedily. So what's happening here to these faithful, to these elect, to these children of our Father? When you first come to God, you're a baby. You have been born into the kingdom, and everything is brand new. And just like a physical baby, you are desperately dependent. And every time that you have a little boo-boo, Father leaps to make sure that you are healed and touched. Every time you have any kind of mess, He's there to deliver any need he's there to provide because that's what he does but as you begin to walk with god for a while there is an expectation of maturation it takes more than just speaking in tongues and saying oh i'm going to heaven God's not coming back for babies he's coming back for a bride that has prepared herself and made herself ready so there is absolutely a responsibility that we began to grow up in Christ. And so we'd pray, make us like you, Father. Change our old character. Put Christ's character in us. We desperately cry, God. Deliver us from this flesh that we have been, this old man, and move us into this new creature and the process. And the way that our Father does that is He allows us to go through these journeys. These journeys of sickness, these journeys of rejection, 
These journeys of trouble of our own making, trouble from the outside, as Paul said. Hurts among our brethren. Journeys that we go through and we quickly forget how we prayed God develop within us character and virtue, develop within us and make us like you. And we start crying out in the nighttime and crying out in the day, Deliver me! Heal me! And so Father knows what we prayed in the desires of our heart. And though He's there to comfort and strengthen us, He's saying, Uh uh-uh, uh, not yet. Because there's a purpose of this journey. It's the trying of your faith that produces patience. It's the tribulation that you walk in that provides faith. And all of these things that we do, it's producing within us the measure of the man, Christ Jesus. And also we understand it's about ministry. I need to make it very clear to RAC today. Nothing in the kingdom of God is free. We talk about salvation being free. It's free for you to partake. It's not free to live. It's going to cost you everything. You've got to sell out. And our Father Himself sent His only begotten Son and paid a terrible price on crucifixion's hill for our salvation. It's not free. Ministry is not free. And if you are going to operate in healing for somebody else, then you're going to have to go through a journey where you overcome all the battles of sickness and pain and suffering. You're going to have to have a family member that pays the price and you journey with him. I would submit for your reasoning that the Apostle Paul, who was then known as Saul, is standing holding the coats of Stephen the first martyr. And when Stephen declares, forgive them for they know not what they do, the price that Stephen pays in martyrdom is probably what looses Paul to be the apostle that he is. And so we pray, God, use me. Make me a soul winner. I want to pray. I want healings to happen when I pray. I want deliverance and miracles. And there's a price. If you think that you've been going through this battle just because, uh uh-uh. It's because you prayed. And you ask God for that anointing that was prophesied upon your life. And here's the journey that now you're going through. How are you going to speak that the covenant devour be destroyed off somebody else's marriage until you have felt the battle and you have walked through it and overcome? So we forget. We forget. We forget what we pray and we don't realize this is the journey that produces Christian character and this is the journey that produces ministry. But every journey has a beginning and it has an end. Every cup of sorrow that we have to drink has a limited volume. It's not an endless cup. It is a limited volume. And once you properly drink all them dregs, it's over. You have paid the price. You have made it through the journey. You have passed the test. And once you get to that place, here's where the shift happens. Because our Heavenly Father doesn't want you to suffer one more second. So He comes as fast. He is speedily. He's right there. The journey is over. The cup has been drunken. You have paid the price. So He comes for a miracle for you. 
But here's what the verse is telling us. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Now, traditionally, we have said that when he comes back in the clouds and raptures us, will there be any faith on the earth? But that's out of context. Principle is right, but it's out of context. In context, he's referring back to that story. And he's saying, okay, you paid the price, and the timing is now for healing. But we are often like Job. Thank you, Pastor, for speaking about this. And we get into that dimension of faith, and it is faith, to declare, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, believe in him, walk with him. And we get into a type of mindset that we will always be in this battle. That we will never completely overcome. And we will never be freed from the battles of our mind. When you have paid the journey and it has brought Christian character in your life and the ministry is now there for you to walk into, your heavenly Father comes to do a miracle. He comes very speedily and He's looking for someone that will just show up one more time. Father, I'm here for healing. You know, this story bothered me growing up in Sunday school and to hear it growing up because it sounded to me like God wanted us to nag him. You know, the squeaky wheel gets all the grease. Oh, Jesus, really got to give me my miracle. And I thought, surely our Father doesn't want that. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying when the time comes, and we don't often know the time, but when the time comes, in particular, when God sends his servant to, to come to a pulpit and say, hey, people are going to receive healings and miracles in the place today. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in the journey, how far, if you just come back to the court again. Maybe it's me, Father. Is it my time? Is it my time for healing? Is it my time for miracle? Because too often he comes to do a miracle for his children that have been suffering for a long time and they've got their faith some other place than healings and miracles. And that's why, even though it's for us, so many guests, babes in Christ, people that sometimes we never see again, receive miracles and God's people don't. Because when the time of fruition happened and he came to give your miracle, you were at the train stop when the bus came in. You showed up at the wrong place even though your father was reaching to you and you were saying, that's for them, 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 them. And didn't allow the miracle to happen. Not everyone in the place today is going to receive a physical healing. Not everyone. Some of you are still in your journey. But I prophesy to you in the Holy Ghost, it's time for healing for some of you. Because RAC has moved through that dimension. You're in a new atmosphere where miracle signs and wonders are going to be evident in our church services to a greater degree. And it's time for us just to show up at court and say, I don't know if it's my time, Father, but I'd like for you to let me know. If it's healing, I'm here to heal. I'm putting my testimony, my faith down that I know you're a healer. You're my great physician. You're my miracle worker.
you stand with me? Just if you'd come, sis, and play softly. Are you playing? Okay, good, good, because I need to speak to you. Come on, Bubba. There's been prophecies that have spoken directly to you. You've shared some of them with me. But First Lady, there's a, there's a quick healing. That God is bringing to your physical body. And hear this. This is why. Because the pain and the suffering and the feelings that you have gone through have produced in you ministry that you've been praying for. And now as you wrap your arms around some hurting soul, there's a level of healing that you're operating in. That's great. Anybody feel a witness as I just spoke that in the Holy Ghost? Yeah. I've mentioned to a few leaders over the last two or three days that there is a tremendous battle in this region. It's a prince of this region. And a tremendous battle that this church has gone through. Please hear me of a covenant-devouring spirit. A spiritual attack that wants to destroy all covenants. It wants to destroy the covenants of husband and wife. You need to hear me. Some of the battles that you have gone through as husband and wife are not just you and them. It's a spiritual warfare. Because this region... Is being torn like a rag doll in the mouth of a bulldog. And don't know where to get hope for their marriages and their homes. The covenant devourer will destroy the relationship between fathers and sons. And God wants to turn back the hearts of the children to the parents. And if we will get that under our feet and realize that this little battle I've had in my home, it isn't that they're teenagers all of a sudden or this or that. It's a spiritual warfare that we will work together to overcome so that we have the authority for the families in our city. And there is a covenant devouring spirit that will try to destroy the covenant of the people of God with the God called leadership in your life. This is a battle that you've been under for a long time. And even in family situations, you have fought this. But I feel a release. We've come through a battle. <laughs> we. How many times have we asked God for an answer, for deliverance, for a shift? For some people in the place, God is going to heal that rift. Here's the question. The time is now. Will you have faith one more time? just to show up at the courtroom, thank you, Lois, and to say, here's my testimony. 
I testify that you are my Father. That you have all power in heaven and earth. And that you love me with an undying love. And if it's the right time, I'm here for my healing, my miracle, my deliverance, my strength. That's all Father's asking for you. Would you come? If I met you before, either one of you, come on down here. This is what I know. What's your first name? Brandon and Molly. He said, you're on a journey. And you're looking for more than what you have experienced in the past with God. There is absolutely a relationship you have with God. Sometimes it's stronger, other times it's not. For you, darling, I see a lot of hurt that you've experienced throughout your life. Abuse that you have felt and come through. And there's a measure of healing in that, but God is yet to reveal Himself in a greater dimension. Anybody know this couple? Any friends here? I need a couple of friends just to come stand behind it. Come here, Drake. <laughs> it is your time, my brother. Receive complete deliverance. Come on, show up one more time, Holly. Show up one more time and say, I receive healing. I receive healing. I receive healing. Teresa Kotota. That's who you are, darling. Beautifully. What, what a miracle it is. Just keep it real low up here. What a miracle it is to have our sister in the house today. When I saw that she was here, I don't even know her story, but I felt miraculous power loosed at the place. Should not be here, sis. You should already be in your eternity. <laughs> but you're here for a reason to demonstrate that no matter how long and how far and how deep, God wants to bring healing to some people. Somebody close by her lay hands on her head if you know how to speak with authority and declare a complete healing. Be loose from the sickness that has bound you. Healing in your lungs, it's not medically possible, but it's spiritually possible. Hey, an oxygenation of your body, even now, by the power. Here we go. I'm getting out of the microphone. Everybody in the place that is a child of God, and you confess that you have a heavenly Father, and you have a need that has not yet been answered, Please don't leave this place without coming to the court and giving your testimony again and showing your evidence of faith and declaring, I know that you're a healer. I'm here for healing.
you have a need, come on down. I know that you are the way maker. I'm coming down for you to make a way. Whoo! Hey! <laughs> now somebody move into that new dimension of authority. Somebody move into that new dimension of intercession. Woo!